This talk was given at Insight Meditation South Bay. For more information and a schedule of our events, visit the Insight Meditation South Bay website at www.imsb.org. For information about online programs, visit the Bodhi Courses website at www.bodhicourses.org. Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I. We are currently providing a series of talks on what we're calling the Doorways to Insight. The themes for these talks are often referred to as the three characteristics. These are um, fundamental teachings in Buddhism. So those of you that um, came last week and heard Shaila speak about impermanence, um, you got the first step in this three-part series. Uh, This evening I'm going to be speaking about unsatisfactoriness that is often referred to as suffering. Um, The Pali word for it is dukkha. Next week will be the third part in this series and uh, Chris Clifford from Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City will be teaching on not-self. If you can come to all three, you will have a very nice grasp, um, at least an introduction, to these foundational teachings uh, to begin to understand um, some of the principles of Buddhism. So we're exploring the significance of the three characteristics in the Buddhist framework. Impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not-self. Tonight I will address some of the ways that we can understand what the Buddhist teachings mean by unsatisfactoriness and how we can use that knowledge for the development of our wisdom. Everyone here, I know, is um, all too familiar with the things that occur in your lives that um, you find unacceptable, unsatisfactory, annoying. Things that happen to us that invoke unpleasantness, something that's undesirable. These are responses in our mental field to something that is occurring. I'm sure each person here could rather quickly name ten things that fit into this category. Too many red lights, inconsiderate drivers. I don't know about you, but stores that constantly change where things are displayed or shelved. (laughs) But, you know, just when I get to know where something is in Trader Joe's or somewhere, they've changed it. Costco is the worst. (laughs) We take these little annoyances as part of life because we know we cannot control any of these events. So what's the problem? The problem is the mindless negative mindset that gets reinforced each time we react to one of these events. 
we continue to cling to the expectation and desire for things to be different than they are, even in small ways. We override the fact that our experience of dissatisfaction itself can be a key to our freedom, to liberation. Here's what the Buddha had to say about dukkha. Dukkha is a Pali term for suffering, distress, or unsatisfactoriness. It is the first noble truth, the basis of Buddha's path to liberation. We need to recognize the truth of suffering when it's present As the first noble truth says, suffering is to be comprehended, known, and fully understood. The first noble truth is not saying that life is suffering. Dukkha is the overall unsatisfactoriness of conditioned phenomena, namely, Things of form, feelings, consciousness, cognition, and volition, or our mental intention. These moments of experience are ultimately unsatisfactory because they do not provide lasting happiness, which is what we are seeking. To fully comprehend unsatisfactoriness, we must observe it in a non-judgmental and non-reactive way. The suttas give examples of the forms in which dukkha might display itself. So these are some of the some of the ways that we know all too well. Physical pain and mental stress. Sorrow, lamentation, despair, Associating with the unloved, separation from the loved, not getting what one wants. There is the suffering of things always changing. Pleasant things always end, and we don't know if or when they will occur again. This causes us distress. Just when we think we have things figured out, our beliefs and concepts are challenged. We may finally wake up to the reality that we are part of a world of ever-changing, unstable conditions. This is is a real wake-up message, isn't it? So we can take examples from life, any aspect of life, and investigate it from this perspective. So think about any sensory experience that you've had recently. A, A good one to consider is some favorite food that you've tasted and eaten, especially if you're particularly hungry. Delicious, 
on the first bite? How long does the pleasure last? And what do you do when the pleasure ends? Crave more? Have you ever noticed that the second bite is never as delectable as the first? I'm particularly fond of um, uh, classical music. Not That's not the only kind of music I enjoy, but um, even the most beautiful piece of music that might send you into a state of blissful reverie when you hear it. You know, certain refrains. Is there a longing for it to continue? These are just a few simple examples of unsatisfactoriness at play. It gets more complicated in our relationship with others, our partners, co-workers, family members. Does anyone here have a wish that someone you are close to would change a particular behavior? I see a few smiles. <laughs> How much do you stress out about that each time that person does or says that? How often does it present itself as an experience of unsatisfactoriness for you? So what are we to do? Well, Buddha did not leave us stranded with this shocking piece of reality. He gave us a solution, a navigation system to follow as we walk the path of being human. To comprehend this system requires intelligence, intentionality, study, and practice. It has four main parts. First, we recognize the presence of dukkha, dissatisfaction. But in the way that Buddha means it, namely, the things of this phenomenal world are not capable of bringing us lasting happiness because they are always changing and usually not how, when, or like we wish them to be. So I want to say that again, because what the Buddhist teachings mean by unsatisfactoriness is very specific. It means the things of this phenomenal world will never be capable of bringing us lasting happiness because they're always changing. And those changes often are not how, when, or like we wish them to be. So the second part of this matrix, and this is an essential part, there is a cause for our dissatisfaction. It is our strong craving for things to be as we want them to be 
rather than recognizing things as they are. You can see this for yourself when someone does not behave or speak how you want them to. The mind goes into reactivity, and once again, we create a story inside about them and that behavior, specifically in that moment about their behavior. This is how we suffer and perpetuate a mind of ill will, confusion, and or desire for them to change. This brings us to the third point of this profound system. Our suffering and dissatisfaction end when we let go of our craving and desire. Period. This part of the teaching may sound too simple, but it is where we must apply our effort, understanding, and mindfulness. The Buddhist discourses offer further inspiration to help us in this practice. They say, There is inherent unsatisfactoriness of everything conditioned. This unsatisfactoriness of the conditioned is due to its impermanence, its vulnerability to pain, and its inability to provide complete and lasting satisfaction. So our perception of things is key. Perception is the third aggregate. It is the factor responsible for noting the quality of things, and it also accounts for our recognition and memory of things. We don't have to return to a memory of, I don't like what that person, when that person does such and such, even if they repeat it. I don't have to perpetuate the thought in my mind that that's bad. I don't like it. There it is again. You see how that keeps the story going? It deepens that groove of that mindset each time we do that. So the solution for dealing with unsatisfactoriness does not end there. Buddha left us with the fourth aspect of the path, namely the development and application of the Noble Eightfold Path. We just finished a whole series on that topic that addressed uh, that part of the teachings, namely the Noble Eightfold Path. But we'll, we'll have it again at some point in the future. Wisdom develops when we practice learn, and observe without attachment. We can begin to see for ourselves the meaning of insight. That when we cling and crave, we suffer. The first noble truth. No, that's the second. There is a cause for our suffering, and there is a remedy the Four Noble Truths, right out there. 
When we understand the three characteristics, we have already developed right view in the Noble Eightfold Path. I actually looked up on Wikipedia what, um, how they define Vipassana, which is insight practice. Uh, Vipassana insight is into the true nature of reality or direct experiential perception as opposed to knowledge derived from reasoning or argument. Looking with clarity and precision. So, for example, follow the experience of impermanence in any body sensation. So, just tune into your body right now, just for a minute. Eyes can be open. It's actually quite useful to um, develop some practice of being mindful with eyes open. (laughs) Keeps us from stepping into a hole. But it's also coming to know the body in the moment. We don't have to necessarily close our eyes to know what's going on in the body right now. Is there any kind of sensation? Could be temperature. Could be throbbing. Could be pleasant or unpleasant. Any sensation in the body. So direct your attention on that place. And if there's nothing apparent in your body, that's fine too. Just connect. If you don't have any perceptible body sensation right now, just notice where you experience the breath. Can you feel it coming in and out of the nostrils, for example? And as you continue to focus on the sensation, does it change in quality? Does it shift? Does it get more pronounced? Does it begin to get lighter, dissolve? We practice with changing sensory experience, such as during our meditation this evening, um, when there was external sound that arose in the room. We noticed sound. And when the sound settled and ended, then we noticed silence. When we can do this practice with sound, body sensations, taste, smell, we are more able to then deal with thoughts in the same way. 
thoughts arise, they sustain briefly, and they will end if we don't feed them and fuel them and encourage them. So I invite you to experiment with that if you haven't ever done that. Any teaching on unsatisfactoriness or suffering must include some discussion that what the Buddha gave us is not a nihilistic perspective. We have to see for ourselves clearly that each moment we cling mentally to something as undesirable or even desirable, we are setting ourselves up to be unhappy and dissatisfied. When we crave for something to be other than it is, we will be unhappy and dissatisfied. Again, this is not saying all of life and every moment is unpleasant. Several years ago, I was doing my daily practice, meditation practice. It was going quite nicely. And something came to mind, I don't even remember what, um, but it was something that I recognized as being um, undesirable. It was probably, you know, something going on in my life. And so I sat and and I acknowledged, oh, this is unsatisfactoriness that the Buddha spoke about. So I opened my mind up to receive other aspects of my experience that are also unsatisfactory. And it was like, wow, yes, and that too, and that too. And I can only tell you that that experience was very liberating. First of all, it it deepened my um, appreciation for the Buddha's teachings because I understood directly what it meant to sit with the reality of things being unsatisfactory. And I'm still alive. I'm going to say more about where we go from here. I wanted to share that with you, that just because we open to seeing things as they are, it's, it's, not, it's not a downer. <laughs> It's actually very liberating. Seeing with this mature knowing is liberating. Being clear about unsatisfactoriness in the way that Buddha taught it is living with right view. Hence, we are developing the wisdom factor in our minds and bodies. To let go requires being flexible and open mentally. It means seeing that our previous limited perceptions were incorrect and making the necessary correction in our thinking to remedy incorrect perceptions and beliefs. When we can do this, our suffering ceases. One teacher I know calls this living without hope and fear. Imagine that. 
Can I live without hope and fear? Another teacher calls it dwelling independently without clinging to anything. The experience we have of unsatisfactoriness is not unique to us individually. It is not something that life has dished out to only me or you. It's inherent in this world of samsara. It is part of this domain, part of the very fabric of life on planet Earth. The way we can find joy, happiness, and freedom is to come to understand that the things we assumed and expected to bring us lasting happiness can never do so. The freedom that comes from understanding what liberates us from the attachment to our beliefs, desires, and cravings is known from the inside. That freedom enables us to move through life with a totally different outlook free of old expectations. That alone is joyous. There will always be things that are unsatisfactory. The experience of unsatisfactoriness does not mean we can't or don't enjoy pleasure or feel joy. We merely don't cling or lament when the pleasurable experience ends. It's the clinging to wanting it to last that causes us to suffer. Similarly, when an undesired event occurs, we can watch how our systems are reacting without creating more stories about hating it and instead sit with it completely for a few breaths, for a few moments, and watch it change in the same way that the body sensations change. People often misunderstand the purpose of looking at the presence of dissatisfaction as part of our spiritual development. Rather than being a negative perspective, it is actually quite liberating and freeing to finally see what is true. To see what we have known all along but have been reluctant to face directly. That there, namely, that there is no conditioned experience that we have which can bring lasting and ultimate happiness. How can that liberation, how can that realization be liberating? We begin to stop wasting our physical and mental energy in pursuing meaningless activities. We stop our expectations that people, places, and things will provide that satisfaction. This does not mean that we disengage from the world, our lives, or others. On the contrary, we are more fully present to what is happening as it is, and we're willing to let it pass when it's over. So, I found something on the IMSB website that is pertinent. 
Meditation cultivates the capacity to steadily perceive the truth of anicca, impermanence, which Shaila spoke about last week, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, and anatta, not-self. That's next week. Underneath the surface of experience, insight transforms these. It is the spotlight that puts experience into clear view. It is not intellectual understanding or a good idea at the time or an experience that conforms to teachings. Insight transforms the fundamental way we experience life. When we, ex- when we perceive a Nietzsche or impermanence, we do not cling. When we perceive dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, we do not cling. When we perceive anatta, not self, we do not cling. These three insights prevent clinging. When clinging ceases, suffering ceases. So I have a few points that I hope will be um, kind of takeaway remembrances for you, understandings. What I'm speaking about this evening, unsatisfactoriness, is this condition is a mental response to our experience. All mental responses change. It's natural and ordinary for us to experience dissatisfaction. Mental and physical processes do not provide lasting happiness. Don't take that on my word. Check it for yourself, as the teachers say. It is possible to find relief from the mental state of dissatisfaction. I have a few suggestions for bringing understanding of this topic into daily life. First of all, there's a lot of room to bring compassion into the moments where you feel overcome with dissatisfaction. Feel compassion for yourself, for this human experience that we have of so wanting things to be the way we want them to be when and how we want them to be. So be with brief moments of pleasure, joy, and things that are positive for you, that provide simple satisfaction. Appreciate them. Be with them fully. You know they will end, 
but enjoy them while they're there. Whatever it might be, that little refrain of music or the sun or having a cup of tea or coffee with a friend or laughing. I'm particularly enjoying at this stage in my life um, looking at the antics of little children out on the street, you know, in public. I don't know them, but if you watch little children, um, it's it can be so delightful because they're so spontaneous. They know how to have fun. They know how to enjoy. Whatever brings you pleasure in a moment, appreciate it and enjoy it. In your sitting practice, notice and know what the feeling of being balanced in harmony and equanimous, equanimity. Sometimes it's called equipoise. Know what that feels like for yourself when you practice. Know how to recognize the state of dissatisfaction and rest there with presence and dignity and acceptance and equanimity. It's not something that you have that we have to fear. Some things are dissatisfactory. It's not a permanent state. It doesn't need to um, bring us down and spin us, spin us upside down into um, some long-term <laughs> terrible place. Watch your experience move and shift and allow it to release. So what is the insight aspect of this teaching? For me, I had to um, take a very hard look, clearly, seeing how much I invested and how often I wanted things to be other than they are, particularly other people's behavior. (laughs) But it's, it's not just you know, pointing the finger out out there at other people. We're very big on wanting ourselves to be better and different. That also counts as dissatisfaction. So we can ask ourselves, how often do I say to myself something like, I wish that fill in the blank. And it could be something so simple. I recently um, found out, you know, I heard myself saying, oh gosh, I have to file my nails again already? I just did them. (laughs) Trivia. But you see how if we 
continue that frame of mind of things being unsatisfactory? How can we possibly appreciate and enjoy things that are pleasurable and available to us? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.